Okay, we are in Lesson 25, if you can believe that, of uh, our series in the book of Hebrews. I'm sorry, I, I have this thing about titles. And so I changed my title and said, is chapter 11 for you? Now, if you're living in the world in which I'm living, a lot of people are thinking about chapter 11. Now, you may think that's just a cute title, but I want to tell you something. That title will get thousands more hits on that sermon than it would have had it not been there. If I'd have just said faith, uh, it would have been another story. But people are going to look at chapter 11 and hopefully they look at the right chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is right for you and especially in, in these days. So why is Hebrews chapter 11 important for us? Well, it's obviously important in the overall flow of the argument of Hebrews. I'm going to give you the broadest brush, but essentially what you see in Hebrews chapter 1 through Hebrews chapter 10 is the sufficiency of our Lord Jesus Christ and specifically of his high priestly work. Christ as our great high priest is absolutely sufficient. And because of that, we have every reason to have the firmest of, of faith. So that's where we've uh, come to from the first 10 chapters. Chapter 11 now says, here are examples. Here's, uh, we've, been, we've been talking about the need for faith. Now, here are examples and definitions of faith so that it sweeps through the Old Testament and gives us specific examples of what faith looks like and how it works in the everyday life of individuals. Then after those examples in chapter 11, we go to the exhortation in chapter 12, and now we are exhorted to live our lives by faith based on the sufficiency of Christ and upon the examples that we find all the way through the Old Testament that speak about men and women of faith who have lived out their faith in very real ways. So let's talk about some observations of of, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. It, It ought to be very apparent that the theme is faith, right? 36 times in, in the, in two books of the Bible, the word faith or some part of that word uh, uh, occurs 36 times in Romans, 36 times in Hebrews. Those two books have the most instances of faith in, in uh, the Bible. 24 times that word faith is found in Hebrews chapter 11. And in our text, it is the first of 18 times that the author will say, by faith, such and such happened. So I think we can all agree faith is is, uh, the prominent theme of the chapter. Let's make a couple of other observations. Faith is progressively defined. If you look at faith in verse 1, you get this general uh, description. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. Then when you get down... Uh, to verse 3, you see that it is a faith that, that believes in creation. If you look at verses 4 and 5, you see examples of that with Abram, uh, a- Abel and with Enoch. And then in verse 6, you see, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For we must believe that God is, and we must believe that he is the rewarder of those 
who seek him. Then if you get down to verses 13 through 16, you see that all of these people died in faith, not having received the promises that they were, uh, the things that they were promised, but still looking for them. And of course, the point is faith looks toward heaven for the ultimate fulfillment of what God has promised. If you notice, too, the emphasis is in this chapter is not on the source of faith. We've had 10 chapters to tell us about how trustworthy Jesus is. And in chapter 12, it's going to say he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. But here it's not emphasizing the source of our faith as much as it is the outworking of our faith, how faith manifests itself in the life of believers. The emphasis is not on us to conjure up faith in some way. It's not saying, come on now, you can do it, you can get it, as though it's something we have to work up. It is something that is within us, that God has given to us, so it is working out that faith which God has given, which this uh, section of Hebrews is dealing with. It's not primarily emphasizing saving faith as well because these people are people who are believers and 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 that's the underlying assumption and so therefore it's not focusing on saving faith although surely that's one dimension of it it's talking about that faith which is worked out here's a big one to me the emphasis is on faith before the law was given now, if you look at these examples, and, and in particular, if you look at what you might say the column inch space, you'll notice that when he starts out, he, he gives a, a more lengthy description of these, and, and particularly in relationship to two men, who would be Abraham and Moses. And the others, you, you sort of, when you get down to verses 32 through 38, he really bunches them, you know. Some were sawn in half and this and that. He doesn't even name them. But, but, but in the early parts, he gives us uh, many people. And notice that most of the column inches are spent talking about faith before the law was given. Do you notice that? Faith before the law was given. Uh, creation faith, we're all the way back to Genesis 1-1, then we're at Abel, and you work your way through uh, to Enoch and Noah, Abraham, and, and, and his uh, descendants. But the thing that's very interesting to me is when you look at his description, even of Moses, he does not mention the law. In other words, if you look through this whole section, he does not mention law-keeping uh, and it's not that people could not and should not keep the law by faith. He's addressing people who were tempted to go back to the law. So what he's trying to show is that people were saved by faith and lived by faith before the law was given. So even when you look at Moses, it says by faith he was willing to, to identify with the people of God and not enjoy the passing pleasures of sin by being uh, associated with Pharaoh's daughter and, and being known as Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, he left Egypt. By faith, he offered the Passover. Passover is before Mount Sinai and the giving of the law. So I think the author is very purposefully saying to us, people lived by faith and were saved by faith 
long before the law was given. So it is not about law-keeping. Faith is about trusting in God and living your life accordingly. And the emphasis, as I've said, is on the behavior of faith, how faith behaves. I already said, but Abraham is the most prominent uh, person who is given as an example of faith. And uh, does that not bring back memories of some other writer, uh, assuming he is another writer, and that is Paul in Romans chapter 4? People went back and they said, Abraham and these folks, he's the father of our faith, And so the whole point is, Abraham was saved before circumcision. He certainly was saved before the giving of the law. He was saved by faith, Genesis 15, verse 6, and so on. So Abraham is the prime example. And in a sense, the writer to the Hebrews is doing the same thing as Paul did in Romans chapter 4, saying, look at these great Old Testament heroes, the people you revere, you, you Hebrew saints. Look at these people. These people were saved and walked by Faith. Faith is not presented as a magic cure for suffering. Wow. Uh, you know, obviously, the, the, the prosperity preachers are going to skip Hebrews. They're just going to skip. When, when have you heard the last prosperity preacher preaching out of Hebrews? And in particular, Hebrews chapter 11. When you think about it, you've got in our text, uh, Abel, who because of his faith, died right? He was the first martyr. And you've got Enoch, who, as a result of his faith, didn't see death. And then when you get to the end, in verses 32 through 38, you get this whole list of people, some of whom had victories. Their dead were raised and whatever, and some of them were sawn in half, and and, and they lived of fleeing for their very lives. The point of this text is, Faith will not be a guarantee that you won't suffer. This book is not saying if you have enough faith, you're going to prosper. You're not going to have hard times. It's saying some people were delivered and other people were not. Faith is that by which God may deliver you and faith is that through which God may bring you or may bring you through those difficulties. That's up to him. But faith is not the magic silver bullet that some people would say it is, and they surely would not be reading Hebrews if they said that. So in, in, uh, in, in Hebrews, you've got this section, which is examples of faith, and then you've got in chapters uh, 12 and, and, and 13 the exhortation to faith, and I think that's important. He doesn't exhort really specifically until he gives examples of how faith has worked out. By the way, let me just make one other observation, and it came to my mind as we were in worship this morning. One of the places where faith is most evident is in the face of death. Is that not true? And if you follow through Hebrews chapter 11... Just circle or underline the places where the word death occurs or died. And, and sometimes it may be a phrase. But, but if you look at all of the times in, in Hebrews 11 where death is referred to in one way or another, it plays a big part. And faith is the only solution to the problem of death. And, and surely Hebrews makes much of that. Okay, let's talk about the structure just for a moment. 
if you look at the way that the chapter is laid out, it's laid out chronologically, is it not? So the first instance or first example of what faith looks like is creation. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're going to start in the Bible, why not start at one one of Genesis? That's what it does. And then you go to Abel. And then you go to Enoch. So Abel chapter 4, Enoch chapter 5, Noah chapter 6 through 8, uh, and so on. And so you've got the author just working his way down through Old Testament history saying, look at these people. From the very beginning, faith is the way it is. Nowhere, I think the author is saying to us by inference, nowhere is works, uh, uh, does works have a place in the scheme by which God finds pleasure in men and by which men may draw near to him. It is always by faith, not by works. He moves from the general to the specific. So he will start out in in verse 1 of Hebrews by talking about general characteristics of faith. And indeed, one could almost say, based on on, on, uh, Hebrews 11.1, false faith uh, would also fit in that. Everyone, as I'm going to say later, everyone lives by faith. Everyone lives on the basis of things that are not sure. <laughs> we, I've had to drive to Missouri a few times in the, in the last couple of months. And, uh, you know, there's all those casinos all along the way. I mean, those, I don't know. And, and I read in the paper this week, they believe that gambling is going to increase as the economy goes down. Because some people, that's where their faith is. Their faith is in the way those dice are going to come up. Well, everybody lives by faith. The question is whether your faith faith is well-founded or not. General to specific. And then he concludes, as you know, at the end, by looking at faith that suffers. Because that, of course, is where he will go in chapter 12 with his readers. You have not yet suffered to the point of the shedding of blood. But the inference is you will. So let's look at a progressive definition and description of faith in verses 1 through 6. Verse 1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for. Being sure, it is confidence about the things in which we hope. Now, we need to probably distinguish between faith and hope. Hope is what we want and desire. For the Christian, hope is what God promises that we should want and desire. And as you know from Romans chapter 8, hope is not seen. Hope that is seen is not hope. So hope is looking forward to something that is in the future that we do not have at the moment or something that we cannot see in this realm. So it may also talk about spiritual realities, but Hope is being certain about those things for which we, I would say, in parentheses, as Christians, hope. Certainty about those things. And it is being convinced about those things that we cannot see. Cannot see the future. Cannot see the the, uh, supernatural angelic hosts like uh, Elisha's servant when he's shaking his boots because the armies are surrounding them. And and, uh, Elisha prays that his eyes would be open to see the realities that were there. Uh, So it is a confidence about what we want in the future that God promises and what we cannot see. Verse 2 says, It is the basis 
for God's commendation or approval. It is by faith that the men of old found God's approval or favor. That'll be picked up again in verse 6. Then in verse 3, I've I've said faith is based on the Bible, and I understand that it says faith believes that the things that are created, that is, the things that we see, have actually come from things that we don't see. The seen originates from that which is not seen, which is kind of interesting because when you have these types of, In the Old Testament, remember, those types are things that you see, whether it's the tabernacle or the altar or whatever. These are things that are seen, but they testify. They're always linked to those things which are unseen. But he says, creation, what is seen, is the outgrowth of that which is unseen. Here's an evidence, a a product of the unseen world and the spoken word of, of God. But I've said, faith is based on the Bible because the first thing that we come to when we read the Bible is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The reason why we believe in creation, first and foremost, is because God said it. Because God said it. Now, that has all kinds of apologetic impact for me. And and that is, when we are preaching the gospel to lost people... I have no problem with presenting scientific evidence, but don't think that evidence will compel an unbeliever to believe in creation. Only faith will do that. It's a faith position based upon what God's Word has said. Verse 6, it is impossible to please God apart from faith. Boy, we ought to just underscore that. It is impossible to please God apart from faith. Does that not tell us that works are not the basis for God's acceptance and approval of men. It is only on the basis of faith. It is always on the basis of faith. That's what these examples in Hebrews chapter 11 are going to say to us. We must believe in God and we must believe in him as the rewarder of those who seek to draw near to him. Boy, those are great, great preliminary definitions. By the way, this whole thing about seen and unseen is not just a theme in Hebrews. Remember uh, a text I think that was read this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, I think Dave read it, verse 8, says, though you have not seen him, you believe in him without sight. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, we look at the things that are, we don't look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. And then in chapter 5, he says, we walk by faith and not by, fa- uh, by sight. So faith pertains to that which we can't see. And somebody was given the words of a song, you know, but I, it seems to me that, that faith is seeing. Faith is seeing. Isn't, isn't that what you get with a blind man? You know, in John chapter 9, the blind man sees. He gets it. And, and the sighted guys say... We're not blind too, are we? They're blind as bats. So faith is seeing what is real. And that is the things that God has spoken of in his word and God himself. Okay, Uh, let's see. Let's talk about examples of faith. First of all, uh, creation. And, and I, and I want to just ask the question, why is creation so important? Why would it be listed here 
at the early, in the early verses of Hebrews. And I would say, number one, because that's where the Bible starts. And, and isn't it saying, isn't it saying by inference, we need to believe God's word from the first verse to the last, from the very first last. He isn't just picking and choosing. He's, he's bookending it. And so he goes here and he's talking about the end. And, and it's all a part of that, which is a matter of faith and a place in which we exercise faith. But it's also where the gospel begins. Now, when you see the gospel preached to Hebrew, uh, Hebrews, uh, that is, Jewish unbelievers, you do not see creation emphasized, but the reason is they already believe it. Everything that, that when, the, when Paul preaches the gospel to Jewish unbelievers, he knows they believe in that. And so he doesn't have to go back and rebuild. He builds upon that foundation. When you come to Acts chapter 17 and Paul coming to Athens, then what does he do? He starts back at Genesis 1-1. And he says, it all starts here. When a New Tribes Missions was developing a method for presenting the gospel to unreached people groups, people who had never heard the gospel before, where do they start? They realize they can't start in John. They have to start in Genesis because the gospel begins there. And, and I mean, and you got the creation accounts in chapters uh, 1 and 2. You got the fall in chapter 3. Folks, if you don't have that right, then what are you saved from? So it's from the very beginning. The, the creation and those early events are where the gospel begins, I believe. Now let's talk about Abel's faith. Wow, there is some really great stuff. But let's just take a look at at what the scriptures say about Abel. Verse 4. By faith, Abel offered God a greater sacrifice than Cain. And through his faith, he was commended as righteous because God commended him for his offerings. And through his faith, he still speaks, though he is dead. Now, go back with me to Genesis chapter 4. And look at uh, verse 1. Now the man had marital relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And then she said, I have created a man just as the Lord did. Then she gave birth to his brother Abel. Abel took care of the flocks while Cain cultivated the ground. At the designated time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground for an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought some food, some of the firstborn of his flock, even the fattest of them. And the Lord was pleased, now notice this, with Abel and with his sacrifice. Get that? It is not just the sacrifice. It is Abel and his heart along with his sacrifice. And he says, but with Cain and his offerings, he was not pleased So Cain became very angry, and his expression was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your expression downcast? Is it not true that if you do what is right, you will be fine? Now, would we not agree that if God has said to him, You should do what is right, he knew what was right? I mean, I think you have to say, We don't know a fair bit. In these accounts, we're given a very brief description. 
But there are certain things that we have to assume. And one of them is that God may have revealed more to them than he revealed to us that he revealed to them. For example, in, in, in John chapter 8, Jesus says, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Now, I don't know exactly where Abraham got that, but it may well have been that God reveals something to Abraham beyond what we read in, in, in Scripture. Or God gave him insight into what he did reveal in some unusual way that he saw it, but he knew more. When you look, for example, in the, in the Old Testament, in the, in the books prior to the law, you see Levirate marriage. Remember Genesis chapter 38? Levirate marriage. Before the law required it. Marry your, 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 the brother is to marry his older brother's widow so that he would raise up seed to the older brother. That's there in, in Genesis before it, uh, before we see it in the law. You have clean and unclean. When Noah is taking animals aboard the ark, seven clean animals and a pair of unclean animals. There's already a distinction made there. The Sabbath uh, has its roots before the law, and yet we see it in the law. My point is that there are things that were known and commanded before the law was given. And it seems to me that it is clear that, that the sacrifice of Abel, a blood sacrifice was that which pleased God. A non-blood sacrifice of Cain did not please God. And Cain, God indicates both his approval and his disapproval. So that Cain has no difficulty knowing the problem and he has no difficulty knowing the solution. The difficulty with it is that Cain is a fallen creature and he would rather kill his righteous brother then he would obey a righteous God. So we have all of that as a backdrop, and, and the text tells us uh, that, that because of his faith, God commended him as righteous. So he is saved on the basis of his righteousness, and in his case, he is killed because of his righteousness, but he still speaks, though he is dead. I love that. I love that. He still speaks. It's another example that death doesn't end at all. He is still speaking to us through the scriptures, through his example. He is still speaking. We learn from him. Now, I should point out that when you come to Matthew chapter 23, verse 35, in the parallel text in Luke eleven fifty-one, Jesus said, so that on you will come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the son of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered. So there you see, he is the first martyr uh, that we find in, in, in the Bible, and he is viewed by Jesus as one who is righteous. Now, look at verse uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks of something better than Abel's does. Abel's blood was the blood of a righteous saint. But the blood of Jesus was better. Would you not agree? It was better. So the blood of Christ is better, although Abel's blood was good. And it speaks to us of his righteousness. It is not the kind of righteousness that Christ himself had. All right. Uh, let's look at Enoch's faith. And you see that in, in uh, chapter 11, sort of verse 5 and 6, and, and then uh, back in Genesis. Let's look at, at 
uh, Hebrews 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he did not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For before his removal, he had been commended as having pleased God. Notice that. He is declared righteous. He is commended by God as one who is righteous before he is taken up. And that righteousness, again, is attributed to his uh, faith. Where was I? Uh, And then he says, now without faith, it's impossible to please him. Now look at Genesis chapter 5 and uh, begin at verse 18. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch, and he had other sons and daughters. The entire lifetime of Jared was 962 years, and then he died. Man, that is a long, long time. Think back 962 years from now, and think of everything this guy, you know, if you were a grandchild, great-great-grandchild, Grandpa, tell us about the old days. It could last a long time. He says, When Enoch lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God for 300 years. That's a long run of righteousness. And he had other sons and daughters. The entire lifetime of Enoch was 365 years. Enoch walked with God and then he disappeared because God took him away. Now, here's a fascinating text if you're looking in your concordance and you want to do just a search on Enoch. Look at this text in Jude, verse 14. Now, Enoch, the seventh descendant, beginning with Adam, so we know this is the right guy. Enoch even prophesied of them saying, Look, the Lord is coming with thousands and thousands of his holy ones. Enoch is declared to us in Hebrews 11 to be righteous. In uh, Jude, he's declared to be a prophet. And my point again is, Enoch may well have known more than the text in Genesis or the text in Hebrews tells us. And so these men and women of God had a knowledge about God that may be beyond what we see just described in the text that we have uh, before us. Okay, Uh, I should say this. Enoch lived in dark days. These are people who are living before the flood. And and you know what's going to happen. We're in chapter 5 and what's going to happen in chapter 6. Wickedness is so bad, God says, I'm going to have to take them off the earth. You might say, and boy, it's, it's really, it's moved really quickly. Things are bad, but God's going to take Enoch out of the world. <laughs> but then he's going to spare Noah through his judgment in chapter 6 and following. But these are dark days. So when we read about Enoch and his righteousness and being commended by God and saying he walked with God, these weren't the easy times. These were the times when people were mocking those who trusted God. And he is an example of faith and perseverance for us. Isn't it interesting Enoch died, or I'm sorry, Abel died because of his faith. Enoch didn't die because of his faith. And and my point is this, faith doesn't keep you from death. In some instances, God may translate you, not many. In some instances, God may translate you. But 
In other instances, God is going to allow you to death, uh, to, to experience death. Uh, faith is not the magic bullet to protect us. Both Abel and Enoch received God's witness. I think that's very important. Whether or not somebody was walking with God and walking with faith was not left to question. God bore witness to the faithfulness of both. Uh, And that, I think, is critical. These guys didn't wonder where they stood with God. Whether or not, I say, we don't know. Uh, Whatever we don't know about Abel and Enoch, we do know that they walk in faith. That's the point. They walked by faith. And it is that faith which brought them God's approval and, and commendation. Okay, so let's, let's try to just kind of wind this up and take a look at some uh, conclusions and application. Faith is a certainty or assurance regarding things that cannot be seen, whether that be things in the future or things that are spiritual. Faith is the assurance about those things which cannot be seen, but they would be those things which God has spoken. And uh, they, they may be things which we cannot see as possible, the birth of a child to an elderly couple like Abraham and Sarah. And our confidence in this certainty, that is our faith, is so strong that it becomes the reality by which we live. Faith is the confidence that what God promises and what we hope for is so sure, we now live in the light of that as a certainty, not a question mark, a certainty. And we do so in times where the world that is looking us in the eye is telling us no, and the circumstances are saying no way. In other words, we are living with that conviction of certainty in spite of the circumstances of our day in in many cases and that certainly seems to be coming our way. I already talked a little bit about the relationship between faith and hope. Hope is that which we want. Hope is that which is not yet realized. And hope is that is in that which is not seen. And faith is the confidence that those things for which we hope will be ours as a certainty. So they're, they're related, but they are not the same. Everyone lives by faith. Some people's faith is ill-founded. That's really what it comes down to. What are we trusting in? Where is our trust? And aren't these days when God just seems to be pulling the props out? You know, did you trust in your uh, in your uh, IRA? You know, bye-bye to that. And, and do you trust in your job, in the insurance benefits? People are saying so long to that. You know, God is bringing us to a place where we have to live by faith. Now, we've always needed to live by faith, but I think it's not until sometimes the props get pulled out that we realize how important and true it was, even when we didn't think it was. Still, these are days in which we need faith, and we need faith to be rightly founded, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ and in His Word. And, and, and I want to just stop for a minute and say, you know, there, I suppose there could be some people who say, well, you know, we don't worship the Bible, we worship Jesus and whatever. But I got to say, it is God's word 
that gives us the confidence and tells us what it is that God will do. And I don't think you can make too much of that. And it is God's Word that tells us about the sufficiency of the person of Christ and His sacrifice. And if we do that every week, in my mind, it's not too often. It may not even be often enough. Because that is the basis, the ground of our faith. And so we'll keep on doing what we've been doing. The power of examples of faith. Abel still speaks. And and when you look at this hall of faith and you see all these people, they still encourage us, right? And and I, I, I was thinking about that in terms of our history, our brief history as a church. But I was thinking about people and I decided not to name them because... I'd undoubtedly leave somebody out, and that would not be right. Think about the people who have been here, who have sat not physically in these pews, but in the pews over maybe uh, on the Abrams. But think about the people who have sat, who have died well, who have lived their life by faith. Aren't those examples, aren't those great things to live by? I've told you this story before, but before my mother had her leg amputated, in a traffic, as a result of a traffic accident, uh, there was a man in, in the church in Auburn, Washington, whose name was Carl Henry, and he had lost his leg in the Korean War. And little did we know that that that, that this brother and his his loss of his limb and the watching him live out his life. By the way, I can still remember when when he called out songs. There were two songs. One of them was Higher Ground. <laughs> By the way, the Lord took him early through a car accident. But it was his example of faith that went before my mother and, and, and she saw that you can live without a limb. And so in our old brother, when he'd go to the church picnic, he'd take that limb that was a strap on. He'd hang it up on a limb on a tree and he'd hop down there to the lake and dive in. And, and when it came to three-legged races at the Sunday school picnic, he just grabbed somebody. It was easy. But but that example of faith was an encouragement. And all I'm saying is, when we live by faith, we have an impact on others. Um, Tom was talking about when people suffer, we, we share in that. And when people are comforted, we share in that. And when people live by faith, we share in that. The psalmist says in Psalm 73, If I were to have acted the way I was tempted to act in unbelief, I would have betrayed your people. I would have betrayed this generation. People are watching the way we live our lives. And when we live them by faith, we encourage uh, one another. Faith in times of crisis grows out of faith that has been a lifestyle. The, The faith of these people and the faith of the great people of the Bible is not some great divine exception. Finally got it right. You know, it is... Something that comes out of an unexpected event. They're not really looking to be heroes, but they've been living a consistent life of faith and now push comes to shove and they have to make a call and they simply do what they've always done. But in this instance, it becomes more public and the consequence is more more visible. We live in times when faith is really going to be needed. Uh, You've already heard about that this morning, the talk about the hard times that are that are here and the harder times that probably are coming. These are going to be exciting days, exciting days. But they're going to be days when we have to believe God's promises. And we have to act on those in ways that may run counter to our culture and may run counter to what the appearance of our circumstances 
may be. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. These are going to be times when people are going to ask us, when they see us having hope based upon faith, Peter says, be ready to give a response to them. When everybody's sailing along and everything's going fine, we don't look any different than anybody else. When things start falling apart at the seams and people see us with hope based upon the faith that we have in God and his word, they're going to start asking questions. Great opportunities for evangelism and for witness. It's not the greatness of our faith. It's the greatness of the object of our faith that's important. Is that not right? Our faith is limited. I mean, we're, we're, if we're honest, it's, I believe, Lord, help thou my unbelief, <laughs> which means my faith is really puny. But a puny faith in a great God is a whole lot better than a great faith in a puny God. And that's what this text, this chapter is going to say to us. Jesus is both the object of our faith and its source. Let's not forget that when we get to chapter 12 and verse 2. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. If it isn't spelled out here in chapter 11, we've had 10 chapters in Hebrews to tell us where it's all founded. And we're going to be reminded of it again in the next chapter. And that is, our faith comes from him. And I was thinking about that in in relationship to, to the new covenant where it says, I will write my law upon their hearts. Faith is not something that we go out and strive to get. Faith is God writing it on our hearts and us simply acting upon it. He is the author and he is the completer of our faith. Well, the way to please God and obtain his approval is to trust him and to walk in faith. So is chapter 11 for us? (laughs) If it isn't, we're in a lot of trouble. It is for us. And it is, isn't it providential, don't you think? In in, in God's economy, if I can use that word in in a pure way, in God's economy, he has providentially placed Hebrews 11 before our eyes at one of the crisis points in our history. I don't think that's an accident. If there is anything we need, it is faith. Now, if there is anyone listening to me who, who listens and, and who doesn't really know whether this applies to them, I would say one more thing. The text tells us that God witnesses to our faith and the righteousness that comes from that. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, we're told it is the Spirit of God who witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God. If you do not have that witness in your spirit that you belong to God, that your eternal destiny is secure, that you may walk by faith, then I have to tell you, you start where faith begins. And that is you believe that God is, that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. You believe what Hebrews has said, that man in his desperate need is helpless to save himself, but that Jesus came and took on human flesh, and he identified with men, he died in men's behalf as our great high priest, so that his blood might atone once for all, forever, our sins, and that we might walk in him. If that's you, then trust in Jesus for salvation. And if you are one who has trusted in him, then it's time that our lives reflected the reality of that 
as we face difficult days. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this great chapter. Thank you for people like Abel and Enoch. And we, uh, we ask that in our circumstances, we might be faithful, that we might live out our faith, confident in you and your promises, sure of the future, and therefore willing to risk everything in the present, even death, because we know that our great reward is in heaven. Help us to live by faith, and we pray that others might be drawn to you as we do. In Jesus' name, amen.